0: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Loose Units, the podcast. Just a little, just a tiny bit of housekeeping. Um, I wanted to thank... All of you who got behind Ruler Mark, the podcast about people's obsession with Paris, hosted by Tegan Higginbotham, that went live uh, on Monday. Um, and it's on iTunes right now. And I asked you all to jump on board and subscribe, and you did. And I just wanted to say thank you, because it's, it's been a roaring success, and it's, it's absolutely lovely. Uh, episode two for Ruler Mark goes up around the same time as this one, uh, maybe a day later. Anyway, also, uh, dad and I'll be back in the studio very shortly, but as he's still overseas, it's time for another episode where I call him in Thailand and he talks us through some fairly traumatic stuff. Enjoy. When I was a little kid, my dad was a cop. You see, my dad was a cop in the eighties in Sydney, which is generally regarded as the wild west of law enforcement. A terrifying time to be a cop or a criminal or just to be in Sydney full stop. And I, one day, stumbled upon his case files, and they absolutely ruined me. So years later, I approached Dad, and we went through his old case files together, and it became a book, Loose Units. It's in stores right now, actually. And now we're doing a podcast about it. Loose Units, the podcast, is a weekly true crime podcast where I sit across from my dad, an ex-cop from the 80s, and we dive deep into the seedy underbelly of Sydney's policing. So we're doing this podcast down here in Collingwood every week at Castaway Studios together, and we hope you enjoy. Hey, listen, I have a bit of a strange story for you that might be a good point to kick off this episode. So um, Tegan and I thought we would take a little bit of a mini break um, and go to the Yarra Valley, which is... Um, you know like an hour and a half outside Melbourne maybe um and it's where a lot of the best wineries are and it's green and it's gorgeous and it's 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 really great and we couldn't find any proper accommodation um you know any any um like airbnbs or anything that that late because we did kind of book quite late so we saw this thing for glamping which is basically like rich people's version of camping it's big kind of fancy you know like um desert style tents with Persian rugs and you know beds and a fridge and it's oh. it's, it's fully powered um and so we uh, we signed up for it, and we, we paid for this glamping thing. We get there, and it's a, um basically a campsite, like a caravan park, and they've just kind of sequestered off this corner of the park near the forest and called it glamping. And it was basically just like big tents on a car park, and we're like, you know, whatever, whatever, it's all good. Um, and we stayed there and you know it's a caravan park so there's lots of kids running around we're like you know whatever we're not we're not precious uh, the area is beautiful and we've stayed in kind of fairly dumpy places before and this was it was clean and it was fine um, and last night we were about to go to sleep and we heard uh, effectively one of the tents near us there was a big wedding in an adjacent valley and everyone had streamed back and there was this family having a full-on domestic uh, just outside and it was spilling onto the front of our uh, like the little walkway onto our tent and the guy was threatening to bash his wife and it was 30 minutes of uh, a proper like really horrifying uh very loud aggressive domestic and we didn't feel safe um uh. and reception was closed and so we waited until they were in their tent screaming and threatening to bash each other and we um So we get get in the car, and we head off. Uh, We drop the keys off. We call the after-hours emergency number, and the woman's like, oh, that's a shame. Oh, go and have a word. And I got this kind of weird vibe. So we call this morning, um, Tegan calls, and uh, Tegan basically says, you know, we didn't feel safe. Um, There were lots of children staying in the park, and we didn't feel it was appropriate. Uh, We felt, you know, like we were in danger. The woman was um, threatened with violence, and it was really upsetting. And the woman on the phone working at this park, uh, the big four... I, f- I feel comfortable naming them the big four um uh caravan park uh in in uh, Yarra Valley. this woman was like well yeah yeah it's a it's a real shame, but you know we had a few people come up afterwards and say it was just you know a bit of a bit of a family blue, you know, and Tegan was trying to point out, no, no, this was like domestic violence, and we felt physically threatened and we felt so threatened that we had to leave and you know um and the woman's like, Oh yeah, well, you know you know we can we can offer you a free night here, you know, to make it up for you if you like.' Um, and we didn't know how to respond in the moment. We didn't know how to. We didn't know whether to call the cops. Um, we were so close, and just there was like a, you know like a piece of fabric separating us from these uh, several men who were really. It was very scary, and we didn't know what the protocol was. We, we were worried we hadn't handled it properly. We were toying with calling the police, but if we did that, they would hear us, and we they were so trashed. We thought they would go us, and we didn't think we didn't feel safe. So I basically wanted to ask you, as somebody who has been called to these kinds of situations Um, is there a is there a good way to handle this and like how do you handle these kind of situations especially when it's someone else's family stuff
1: going on that you're not technically part of I would definitely um, call the police straight up okay and explain to them what's happening and let them talk to you and and elicit information from you and what I would uh, do in that particular situation is I would even consider having the phone sort of take away the phone away from your mouth yeah. and hold it in the direction of the party and let the police hear what's going on, which sure. is a really, really good idea because then they get a sense of, uh, of you know just how bad it can be. And you, you've also got to remember in these situations, historically uh, weddings have been the scenes of A, horrendous uh, altercations. Really? And... Actually, and, and and have in the past and up up until now and no doubt well into the future, um, there have been people murdered at these functions. Jesus Christ, really? Yeah, true. That's a fact. I mean, I recall one just a few months ago. It, it, it occasionally makes the news and sometimes, uh, well, obviously, there are people filming and I've seen the most, I mean, I've seen um, brawls at, at weddings. I mean, if you, after we, we do this uh, podcast, you might like to just Google um, – uh, say, just type in uh, weddings, brawls, weddings, fights, you know, and, and it'll blow your mind. Because, like funerals and weddings, these, and Christmas time, there are certain events in people's lives where people repress a lot of feelings.
0: Yeah.
1: And you don't know what triggered that particular event. It could be, uh, I mean, remember that movie, The Wedding Singer? you know, where at the beginning the guy is completely trashed, the singer, and and then the guy comes out. Remember that scene where um, Steve Bashimi comes out and, you know, and, it's, and people say terrible things at weddings. They, they, they think they're being funny. They're talking about the groom and they're telling him, telling the, the brides to be his parents that, you know, he basically, you know, shags everything on two legs, that sort of stuff. And the and we are going, hang on a sec. Do we really want to hear that? And, and the guy thinks, oh well, look, I'm being really, really funny. But he's pissed, yeah, completely. All his, um, you know, barriers, all his in normal day to day life, um, those those things that we, you know, maintain as being civil and normal. They all those things fall away. And unfortunately, if they fall away at, at a at a funeral or a wedding, uh, and, and you know, also that we may or may not have discussed, but, you know, I have extensive experience in the funeral industry. Yes. Uh, and boy, oh, boy, some of the things I've witnessed. I mean, I, I, it's incredible. So, look, I would have called the police uh, if you felt that bad. Perhaps you could have um, perhaps. Look, I, I don't think they would have. You, there, there's an. There's always this paranoia when you call the police about a noisy party or an event that oh, my God, are those people that are actually the cause of this, are they going to come back and, like, have a go at me? But the reality is that they don't know who calls the police. The police never, ever divulges that information. And um, and I think you have a um, – okay, here's a scenario. Imagine if uh, you and Teagan had – well, you didn't do anything in that particular case you left, but how would you feel mm-hmm. News this morning you found out that someone had been murdered that night? Yeah, that's a – yeah you yeah. oh shit, maybe I should have done something, yep. the police don't mind. they prefer to know about these things prior to the event than getting a call afterwards saying someone's been stabbed right
0: i I think I guess my problem was. The next morning, we assumed that there'd be this deluge of complaints and people, but but it seemed like everyone was kind of sort of fobbing it off as some sort of oh, it's no big deal. It's like, and does that like what is what is with the normalisation of that sort of behaviour?
1: It, it's completely normal because your mother and uh, I, we um we lived um in a certain suburb of Sydney on yep. the beaches, yeah, and we had not one but two sets of living scum neighbors to, it was so bad our house used to vibrate and you'd go into a delirious state where you would dream up demonic uh, methods of you know ritual killings for the no i'm serious you, you, look people that are deprived of sleep uh they you, you become insane yeah. that's let's face it mom we've touched on this before that it's a form of torture yeah In actual cia and you know, they deprive people of sleep. Now, if it's three in the morning and your house is vibrating and there's a bunch of lunatics two, three, four doors up, or if you're in a valley or in, on Sydney Harbour, it can be coming from another suburb across the water and you feel like a complete tool calling the police and saying, look, there's a party, um, you know, 10 kilometres away, yeah. but I can hear it. Um, but then in the morning, once you go through that delirium traum- traumatic process, and you fall asleep and you drift off into la-la land, when you wake up in the morning and it's nice and quiet and there are birds outside and you're feeling slightly refreshed, you don't feel that same anger and angst and you kind of go, well, I'll move on. And then that's it's that's how it is. Yeah. But, you know, noise complaints are the bane of police officers' lives. But in that case last night or the night before, it's, it appears to me that it was a domestic. It's upset you and Teagan to the point where you were contemplating Calling the police. Yeah, and uh, my advice in that particular situation is that, I mean, you felt so upset that you actually left that night. Now that's a that's a big call, and you know it's it's also in people's nature. Not people don't like to get involved, and everyone wakes up the next morning and oh, you know, whatever. And that's kind of yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because um, one of my, I mean, obviously, I. I
0: don't know just that whole that that wing of like the crime mansion makes me so sick and angry have you ever um can you recall any times you you as a cop were called to uh weddings um or wedding related stuff uh
1: college or funerals as you said um no not uh not off but um look no but look I was actually going to touch on a particular topic uh today that i haven't discussed with you oh okay so i was going to talk to you about uh what police officers and i guess other emergency service people do you know flight attendants um doctors nurses paramedics firemen police officers what happens when they're off duty and they they experience a particular incident Mm -hmm. uh and a few weeks ago, uh, Christine and I, we were up in uh, King's Cross, which oh. used to be a very you know, notorious suburb. And uh, the analogy I like to give today is that back in the 70s, there were bikey gangs with Harley Davidsons parked in the main strip where all the strip clubs were. And then a few weeks ago, I was up in King's Cross, which is only a few minutes from where I live, and I looked across to where all the big Harley Davidsons and all the Comancheros and the Banditos and the Hell's Angels and the Finks—all the big gangs used to be—and they were just Vespa motorcycles.
0: Not quite as not quite as threatening. They're not so much brewing up meth in trailers as they are brewing up coffee in you know bespoke coffee houses. And,
1: and, and that's the sort of the, the passage of time. But we were having lunch, and there were these uh, two guys, and they were completely—they were just absolutely. They were off their faces and they were – it was really, really upsetting. And hundreds of people that were in this cafe strip are more than aware you can cut the air with a knife, but no one is prepared to do anything. And there were a group of police at the other end of this um, popular sort of eating – I guess you'd call it sort of a thoroughfare – and, but they were kind of just sort of observing. And, and I'm watching these two guys and they went to a particular uh, sweet lady's shop that, and she's just opened the shop. Yeah. And one of them uh, completely destroyed, broke, trashed, this beautiful display out the front of a shop. And there were, as I said, there were hundreds of people in about five or six restaurants watching this unfold. I'm trying to have my lunch and just trying to sort of, you know, just have a have a nice Sunday, and I'm watching these two scumbags, and they were they were literally out of control, and they were, they were they were big guys, and they were they were they were scary, and I this is my point, even though I've been out of the police force for God, let me think, probably thirty years. Hmm. There's a part of, and I'm quite sure that with all emergency service people and also soldiers that if you witness an event it triggers a particular uh, reaction that you don't necessarily have any real control it's like this automatic uh sort of mental thing happens where you kind of slip back into that mode and it's like once you've been in the police force i'm quite sure that till the day you die When you witness certain incidents your body goes into this automatic you almost sort of go back in time and I stood up and I knew that everyone was really really upset but no one would do anything yeah and I sprinted past the two guys ran I ran up to the police and they were the police were probably at least 100 meters away Mm. I just said I, I started literally screaming at the police saying look you know what this is what's happening down here this is what they've done and I said, and they were kind of looking at me going, well, you know, and I said, look, I said, I'm an ex-police officer. And I said, these guys, this is what they've done, and it's completely unacceptable and something needs to be done. Now, it was weird because as soon as I mentioned the ex-police thing, you kind of, you know, they kind of start to take a little bit more notice of you, which right. is just sh- in a way because they really should be taking notice of, of everyone that says things about... You know, if, if things are bothering people, they should go, okay, yeah, well, you know, but because I mentioned the police thing. And then I came back to our table and the police came down and they, and it was a, and it was a pretty heavy situation and I was sort of waiting for one of the police to actually, you know, be flattened by these two guys. Yeah. And they arrested the guys and, and took them off. And then while Christine and I are sitting down having lunch, um, a couple of the people nearby that have been at other restaurants came up and thanked me complete strangers, saying, look, we really, really, really appreciate what you did. But I thought, you know, it's we're, there's this society feeling that you know, no one wants to get involved and people let things slide, but there comes a time. So, you know, that's a situation where I've been out of the police force for a long, long time. But a particular story that comes to mind, I was in the police force, but I was off duty because I had quite a few situations over the years, I'm quite sure that quite a few police in their careers experience things whilst they're off duty. Right. And the the thing is that you're really never ever off duty. The thing with in the police force is that at least in New South Wales and this was instilled into us at the academy was that once you announce your office in other words you say to someone I am a police officer you're on duty and you so it would obviously be something fairly serious so I'll never forget the night in... I was going to work at Manly, and it was um, the 11 p.m. shift. Mm-hmm. I was driving, funnily enough, the same shitty white Holden that is mentioned in... I think it's the, at the end of Loose Units.
0: Yes, I know the car.
1: Yeah. yeah, you know the car. So I'm driving that same car, which was a late 60s Holden, and, you know, it, it, it looked like a bit of a box, And I was... It must have been winter because I was, again, wearing my blue jumper. So I'm just sort of cruising into Manly. And uh, I had to do um, a U-turn. So I went to do this U-turn. And this car load of people, they kind of brake suddenly and obviously had the shits. Mm. But, you know, I was obeying the road rules and... As far as I was concerned, everything was sweet. But to them, they've seen me perhaps, you know, break a little bit soon or maybe they just weren't paying attention and they kind of had to sort of swerve slightly to avoid a collision. Mm. I've turned around, started heading in the opposite direction, and I then looked in my rear vision mirror and I could see this car and they kind of they also did a U-turn and that made me feel slightly anxious. And then they started actually gaining on me, and I'm I'm probably doing 50 or 60 kilometres an hour, mm. and they overtook me and cut me off. And they stopped their car in the middle of the road, Jesus. and I'm parked. And these two guys get out of his car <clears throat> and start coming toward me, and I'm thinking, well, you know, this isn't going to end too well. Yeah. And it was re- and it was later. There's, there's no one around, and what I did, because um, to them I'm just some young guy in a shit, shit car, yeah. and I'm fair game. <clears throat> and um, I, but I had all my all my uh, I had my full uniform underneath my jumper. So as I kind of get out of the shitbox box Holden, in one amazingly smooth. Of super, super, super jumper. And from behind the door, it was the most amazing thing to see these two shit bag, you know, just arseholes. They're, they're kind of running toward me. And as I come from behind the door, this slow realization manages to sort of. Uh, how do I say it? Kind of began to materialise that I was in fact a fully armed police officer. Sure. And my my gun that I because I'm left-handed, so my gun was on my on my left hip. Yeah. And as sort of moved right out into full view, I remember seeing them like in a like in a in a in a movie that everything's moving at normal speed, mm. and then all of a sudden they began to slow down, slow down until they just stopped, and they absorbed and registered the entire situation was that they were about to assault an armed police officer, and I just stood there, and they stopped, turned, ran, hopped back in their car, yeah. and, and fucked off, stood there in the middle of the road, this is Pitwater Road, Manly, which is, you know, back in the day, it, Look, it's it's a really busy road now, but back then it was probably a, a Sunday night. Yeah, and uh, I just had the biggest smile on my on my face, and I uh, I hopped uh, back in my car and headed off to work. And that was just an example of that I was prepared to <clears throat> you know take things further. Had it uh, I mean it could have turned into a really nasty situation, and and you know the uniform saved me, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, And then there was a time when I was, again, when you're off duty, I mean, there's that that amazing story in in Loose Units about the escapee that I...
0: uh, Oh, shit, in the department store, yes.
1: I mean, that's an amazing story Mm. where, Mm. uh, you know, I'm off duty. I've been off duty for maybe four weeks. See the escapee, (coughs) and for those that have read the book, we'll, uh, we'll appreciate the gravity of that incredible story. Yeah. once, uh, getting takeaway, mm. and there was a customer, and he was uh, off his face on on some some drugs, and he was incredibly violent, and he was you know literally throwing furniture around, yeah. and every single person in that restaurant, you know, there were there were families with young kids, um, and it was so traumatic for uh, for everyone involved. There were probably fifty people in the restaurant. It was a Saturday night. It was in Dy, which is on the northern beaches of Sydney. And uh, you know it was mid '80s, so I've sort of you know I'm, I'm in my mid '20s, you know dressed like a bag of shit, probably been at the beach all day chilling, uh, coming to get my takeaway order, sat there witnessed this this psychopath going completely off the Richter, and funnily enough that restaurant which is still there today is only a hundred meters from DUI police station. Oh, okay. But you know it's 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 the moment. It's it's that point in time where you you don't even think. You just go into and you forget that you're not in uniform. You forget you don't have a backup. You forget you don't have a radio. But you, in essence, you put yourself on duty. And I said to the owners of this restaurant, I said, look, because you always carry your ID. So I flashed my badge and said, look, you know, I'm a police officer and this is, you know, would you like me to deal with this? And they said, look, we'd really appreciate it. So I went up to this guy bearing in mind that there are probably 50 people watching yeah. so i need to be a little bit kind of you know discreet so what i did i i got my thumb and forefinger and i put it behind his neck near sort of one side of either side of his neck yeah and i squeezed gently and i uh it's a weird Thing, but when you do that to someone, if you get the right spot, you make them feel a little bit kind of woozy. Shit, is that a Vulcan nerve pinch? Ah, <laughs> uh, but it works wonders if you if you do it properly. Yeah. And uh, but it, but to the to the public, they're looking at you, thinking, "Wow, he's he's just amazing. He's pretty well taken control of this person." But it looks as though he's just the guy's just walking politely with him, mm. and um, and I escorted the guy out onto the uh, onto the footpath. You know, we exchanged a few words, and I uh, told him told him to leave, and he, uh, he, and he and he left, and there were no dramas. And then I I went back inside and got my takeaway. Um, so there are there are ways, and, and when we were at the academy, I'll never ever forget that. And this is going to sound a little bit kind of, you know, not weird, but it's a fact of policing in that we were taught um, from a very uh, sort of early time within the police academy i don't know what it's like today but back in back in the early 80s you know we were taught that if you went to a demonstration and you needed to sort of escort people they, they taught us techniques to to escort people away from you know certain situations but to to, to make it look very um, effortless and very painless so to speak yeah if i can say that because you know that when you watch the news coverage and you see police officers completely losing the plot in demonstrations and riots, which are pretty scary, obviously, mm. um, and it looks really, really bad. But there are—we were actually taught techniques to come up to people very discreetly and just sort of put your slide, your sort of hand between their arm and their their body, and just you know hold onto their wrist and give it a bit of a twist, so that it looks very, very, you know, orderly. Yeah and harmless, but you're actually causing a little bit of pain to the person. And the more they kind of um, object, you just very discreetly apply a little bit more pressure. Um, but the thing is, no one knows. In terms of the cameras filming you. Right. They they, they don't um, they don't really... It looks very, very peaceful and, and gentle. But
0: I mean, um, like... Have you ever dealt with any protesters? Have you yeah. ever dealt with any major protests?
1: Yeah, I went. I went to a a really really um, full on demonstration in the city. Yeah, and I think this is probably the first time I've ever discussed this, but um, the police sort of stand in a line, and you're and you're face to face with the the demonstrators. Yeah, and there's a lot of tension. And the weird thing, Paul, is that I'll never <laughs> ever forget this particular. It was my first and last demonstration, thank God, that I've ever, ever been to. Yeah. I was looking, I was standing opposite this person, this girl actually, and I kind of, we were, we, everyone's really like, where the line, you know, is that the thin blue line, mm. us and, you know, the police sort of were in the middle. We're, we're trying to sort of, in a way, protect the protester from the people that are against the protester.
0: Sure, because, I mean, especially recently, there have been a lot of, you know, white supremacists marching around Australia, and there's been a lot of people out there trying to protest against the white supremacists, and I guess, you know, you're just trying to stop some sort of, you know, conflagration going on, I guess.
1: Um, And I was, I'll never ever forget, I don't actually, this is going to sound a bit weird, but I don't actually remember the, um, the subject matter of the particular... Demonstration. However, I distinctly remember moving forward slightly towards this particular girl and saying, almost in a whisper, I said to her, you know, I actually agree with what you're protesting about. Right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all humans. The police have got their job to do. And it's a tough job. In this particular case, I remember saying that I, you know it, it, it struck me as being fairly important to sort of let her know that you know the police are not just this line of, of mindless jerks that are you know because we're not. Um, I say we, thinking that you know sort of present tense. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was quite quite important for yeah. me to say. So she and, and it was peaceful. And there were no dramas. Okay.
0: Okay. Because I mean. Back when um uh, back when John Howard committed all our forces to the um, to the to, to Iraq um, and uh, basically the, the entire country every major city in Australia had tens of thousands of protesters protesting peacefully and I was at university at this point and um, I went out and you know marched for a few days and it was very peaceful and it was just... It was a very positive energy of like they're going to see this and they're going to they're not going to do it and uh, then he said that you know um, I'm going to do it anyway and there was there, there was never any real urge to you know like throw anything through windows but I guess if you're a cop and you're on a horse and you're tear gassing and clubbing somebody you know I guess the optics are, are shocking but also that seems a disproportionate response I, I think I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I find it very um, comforting to hear that you you know um, expressed your Agreement with the with her call with her cause, like I I think I think that really
1: does help humanize. Yeah, police. I think. Look, um, you know, you've got your civil disobedience and riot squads and all those guys that get around in the big black four drives and yeah. you know, wear the masks and everything, and and I and 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 you need those guys as well. Yeah, yeah, you need them. Uh, the first time that I came to Melbourne when you told us that you were moving to Melbourne to yeah. reinvent yes. yourself, mm-hmm. and I was, you know, I. Before you'd even finished the sentence, I had the ute packed with all your stuff, <laughs> and I you know, I drove down um, with, your, with all your gear on the back of the ute, uh, and I drove into Melbourne for the first time in my life, and I actually got lost, and I remember that it was the G the G10 or the G12 and and it was really really violent in Melbourne and I'll never forget seeing the mounted like the horses which we see in Sydney all the time getting around they even get around where we live here in um, Rushcutters Bay at night time and it's 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 beautiful to see the horses because it's a real sort of it's a it's a great PR thing you know, it's a positive thing, but in Melbourne, I'll never forget. Uh, I got lost, ended up in the CBD in this sort of a demilitarized zone, and all the Melbourne police horses were kitted out with full body armor on the horses, and it was this. It was it was scary to see these amazing horses kitted out in full armor, armor plating. Right. And I realised that wow, this is this is this is serious. And that was the year that a lot of the big police riot squad vans—I think they had the water cannons—and a lot of them were tipped over and they were smashed, and it was it was heavy. Yeah. And um, you know, it, that's that's another side of um, of, of policing. That uh, and and you know, you see the footage of these police, the riot squad, and, and and you know, they're all look at the end of the day, they they put their gear away, they put it in a locker, and they they catch public transport or they drive a car or a motorbike and they go back home to their to their lives their you know yeah and um it's, you know it's not for everyone i mean i i could have joined the tactical response group which started when i was in the police force and some of my good friends joined the trg and but it just you know i i, I it's not my cup of tea yeah my i don't like you know i and i don't know how these guys and perhaps girls too. I'm not quite sure whether women do it, but all over the world you've got these riot squads, and they and it's like it's 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 using very basic, probably Roman, um, you know, gladiatorial techniques of sort of get together, huddle, move forward. Um, you know how they get their shield, their their battens, and they bang their shields. That's a psychological thing, right? It's to it's to it's to make the protesters feel oh shit. This is really, really bad, and, and if we don't get out of here, uh, it's it's going to end, you know, pretty badly. Yeah. But, you know, you need – there are people that actually do that, and, um, yeah, it's – um, and, and, and how they don't lose their temper. Uh,
0: well, I mean, I, I assume that, you know, that does happen. And it does,
1: yeah. yeah, because that's that human side of things. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, well. I only have one more question before we wrap up this bonus episode of Lucy and It's the Podcast, Dad. Um, in the story where you escorted the raving lunatic out of the Chinese restaurant, when you came back in to collect your food,
1: did
0: they, did they give you any free prawn crackers or any discounts or anything?
1: They, they, they obviously said to me, um, no charge.
0: Oh,
1: <gasps> Obviously, but hey, it was... <laughs> It might have been fifteen I dollars. I think that qualifies as police
0: corruption, police and I hope any any people what, in internal affairs who are listening are putting that on your record.
1: Paul, oh, Paul, oh, I didn't. I haven't. I didn't say whether I paid or I didn't pay. You didn't pay. I can't remember. You didn't pay. But uh, anyway, <laughs> crafty so and so. Yeah. So look, it's uh, it's all about um, the point of this whole. You know, what I was saying is, is that um, it, even today, um, you know, if I see something uh, that happens, uh, it, uh, you know, I guess like, like training. I, I, you know, in, when I did skydiving for five years and I had three malfunctions, the first malfunction I had uh, where I had to cut away from my main canopy, uh, you don't think about it. You don't go, oh, and, and process all this stuff. No, 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 no you've got a malfunction, you're falling, you're plummeting, you're about to die, you cut away from your main, you deploy your reserve, and it saves your life.
0: Right, so you just act. Now, I guess what I'm saying is I kind of wish you'd been there, but just just to see what it's like to see someone who's got the relevant training, how they would react in that kind of situation at the campsite.
1: Yeah, but look, um, you know, again, everyone's human. Um, I told you that story about my friend uh, that cut his lip I told you that story? Yes, and I listeners will remember that I was yeah. <laughs> fainted. The, the thing is that, look, you, no one knows how they're going to react. Um, and, and look, you know that I went on to join the New South Wales Fire Brigade and I did that for 10 years. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I've never ever really discussed um, any of those incredible stories. But, um, you know, I have witnessed firefighters um, in very, very stressful situations basically become uh utterly useless they and it happens in all professions with extreme stress i imagine yeah uh, where and you, you there's no warning and something triggers off this this reaction inside you where you just completely shut down and, I, and i've seen professional colleagues in various situations uh for no apparent reason just some trigger it could be personal it could be you know, I don't know what, what can cause it, but I've seen really, really amazing professional people just lose it and, and, and basically have to be taken taken aside because and, and, they are no longer uh, capable of, of, of helping. They're, they become a hindrance. Um, and, and, and what happens is, of course, when something happens to a colleague in that situation, you, you know, you have to divert manpower to, to those people to assist them as well, and then you sort of, losing strength with your core group that are going into a situation. And it's all, you know, but people, you know, when you least expect that things in life can can trigger um, all, all sorts of things. And, you know, like I, some of the things that I did in forensics, which we've never discussed because that's for another, another day, another book. But yeah. those forensic stories, um, when I look back at those and they are, you know, if you think that the stories in Loose Unit's first book <laughs> – they don't rate with the forensics. The forensics is like it's it's like the twilight zone on speed. I
0: truly cannot wait to tell those stories. And I also, when you mentioned the fire brigade stuff, there, um, I kind of want to delve into those at some point as well. But listen, um, I, I I I think listeners, if you have a thirst for those stories, please let us know on the um on the Loose Units Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Loose Units. Um, and please, uh, regardless of whether you're driving or on public transport or lying on a beach somewhere listening to this podcast, please take one headphone out, scream into it, and thank Dad for all his amazing stories. Uh, we'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming and our regular episodes uh, very shortly, but we hope you've enjoyed these bonus episodes. Uh, Dad, thank you so much for um, for hooking us up again.
1: All oh, an absolute pleasure. Aww.